guitar queen has a job Mary Berry's got a job So why don't you get a job? Why don't you get a degree? Even Tarquin has a degree Mary Berry's got a degree So why don't you get a degree? Well done! Don't you watch football? Even Tarquin likes football Trevor Nelson loves football So why don't you watch football? Well done! Well done! Hello and welcome back to a From the Toffee Bowl football podcast. We have a special here where we have two guests. One, Chris Edwards, the Aussie in China, and two, Alex Bishop, the Englishman in Japan. Um, welcome both. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Um, Chris first. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Chris Edwards. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at chrisedwards underscore au. Uh, I've been in China for a while and it's a pleasure to be here again. Okay, good evening or good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Alex, uh, based here in Tokyo for coming on 10 years now. Um, big lover of Asian football, focusing mainly on uh, on Japan uh, and the J-League. Um, yeah, great to make a first appearance on From the Toffee Bowl. Thank you very much. Um, I think this week we might have quite a few people listening over in Europe um, as the place we're going to start is talking about Ange and his recent appointment as manager of Celtic. Um, so starting then earlier in his career, going to you, Chris, how did Ange make an impression in Australian football? Uh, Ange has had a really great uh, influence on Australian football. Uh, while he was first playing in, uh, managing uh, his boyhood club of South Melbourne um, and doing quite well in the National Soccer League, it wasn't until um, his time in the A-League with Brisbane Raw and Melbourne Victory that he had his biggest input and his biggest influence on the game. It was then managing the Australian team that he was really showing what he can do as a manager. One of his philosophies was to play a style of football that his father would love to watch, which tended to be uh, an attacking style of football and a very, I'd say, pragmatic. He likes to think about how things go. Another thing that Ange does is he will look at players available that aren't necessarily getting minutes at the teams that they're playing at because he feels that's not helpful. It's no good going and picking up players from teams that are already playing. It's better You'll be better off picking up players that aren't getting minutes because they're more willing to come and play for you. Um, I mean, Alex will be able to say more about how he's gone at Yokohama F Marinos, but certainly winning the title in 2019 was extremely well received in Australia. Um, up there with winning the the Asian Cup a couple of years ago and qualifying uh, for the World Cup in 2018. So he's extremely well respected in Australia and we do wish him all the best uh, managing Celtic. When he was with Australia, obviously he got you to a World Cup. Was his style of football, even with Australia, quite attacking when he was limited on the place that he could obviously pick? Uh, he would try to, but then uh, one of the reasons he left that position was that the focus of the focus of the national body was no longer about picking players he wanted to pick, but survival, essentially. 
It was about how do we make sure we qualify rather than picking the best players for what he wanted to do. So because of that essentially structural change, he said, I will get us to the World Cup. After that, I'm done. So that was a very significant change in his... That was very significant for us as a nation. Um, And in some regards, that's one thing he does. He is a builder of sides. He is a long-term project manager. He's not a short-term sort of manager. He wants to build a side over time. And I think that's something really important for the listeners to understand. The same experience that the Yokohama fans uh, will have in Japan, Yokohama F Marinos fans, Alex. Yeah, um, as Chris said, Ange came onto the scene in Japan um, with Marinos in 2018 at the start of their season, right? Um, Marinos, they'd, they'd gone a, a long time without any kind of real success, whether that's uh, trophies, ACL qualification, or even a decent um, league finish. Um, I, it was kind of hand in hand with this the involvement of Citigroup, right? Citigroup came in, uh, Marinos, they got a real uh, kind of footballing brain installed, if you will. Um, people who might not be so familiar with Yokohama F Marinos, they are owned by, the majority uh, holder is is Nissan, the big automotive car industry. Uh, Of course, very historical, very big, very powerful, but not so kind of savvy when it comes to football clubs and this kind of thing. They brought in Citigroup um, and then Ange came after that with a very clear uh, kind of project in mind. Um, And obviously that is to be as successful as possible uh, and really create a real football product. Uh, And this kind of refers to the attacking philosophy that that Chris was uh, alluding to before. Um, so yeah, so I think in the beginning, if we talk about the, the Marinos fans who are on the ground here in Tokyo, the, the Japanese, the domestic fan base, I don't feel as though they had as much of an understanding as to, maybe they know who Ange is or who Ange was, but maybe not so much what he could bring, what he's about, right? Um, so there was a, it was a little bit unexpected, I'd say. Um, and certainly for people like myself who had heard of Ange at Australia and some of the things he did, I certainly wasn't expecting what we saw in that first season, which was, of course, the building season right uh, this is where Ange comes in and straight away we get this unbelievable kind of attacking uh high pressure high possession uh focused uh, strategy completely alien to the j-league no one had really ever done that in, in this manner before uh in that year of course uh you know it goes without saying he didn't quite have all of the players he'd need or the profiles of players, the the kind of technical profile, the physical profile of players that that he needed in the beginning, uh, which did kind of go on to cause a few questionable losses, shall we say? Um, there's a few kind of times when the keeper was uh, uh, Ikura, right? So the kind of, uh, the keeper was chipped a couple of times from the halfway line, uh, a few comical kind of defensive errors, this kind of thing, which is all part and, part and parcel of, of total football, right? This kind of focus 100% on, on attacking. Um, there was a few kind of bloopers like that. Um, it did become kind of really close at one point. He was very close to getting the boot, if I remember. I think it might have even been within a game or two, kind of mid-season, they were hovering above that relegation area. If things had continued where all the results weren't really going to go their way. He may have been, uh, you know, it might have been curtains for him and his team. Um, but luckily he managed to turn it around. Um, he brought through a few players. Um, as um, interestingly, as Chris was saying before about bringing in players from, from other clubs who aren't necessarily getting minutes, we did see a little bit of that in the first season uh, from my club. Of course, we had Takafusa Kubo, who is now on the books at Real Madrid, uh, out on loan at Getafe for, for, for the 
last season. Um, he actually did a loan spell over at Marinos uh, for the last six months of that 2018 season, right? He came in and put him in the, se- on, in the first team straight away. Uh, and I think he notched his first goal. Uh, while playing for Marinos, Takafusa Kubo. So that was a very kind of commendable move by Ange that I thought he really brought through that player who's now going on to make waves in, in, in Europe. And we should kind of like mention that a little bit. It goes, I think that's quite un, um, you know, unmentioned, undermentioned uh, in the media a little bit. So uh, that was an interesting point of that season. Um, I think they, they, they kind of finished around mid-table 2018. And then 2019 was that spectacular uh, league win, right? Where they really surged right at the end of the season in such impressive fashion to pit my team FC Tokyo uh, right on the last day of the season. Beat us pretty impressively as well, 4-0 uh, at their ground. I was there that day. Um, it was kind of hard not to hate them, really, not to be too bitter about that um, about that kind of conclusion to the 2019 season. Um, but yeah, and the rest is history. He's really built uh, a side that now has a an identity, an attacking identity. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they move on now uh, and how they continue this this kind of uh, this identity, this philosophy that he's brought to the club, um, and for sure the team is absolutely the the better for it, the better for Ange's involvement. One thing that's interesting is you both talk about building a team. The issue is he has to do that Celtic, but unlike with Marinos and with Australia, he can't really afford to make many mistakes because. If Celtic lose two, three games next season, the Celtic fans will want him out the door quickly. And do you think, from what you understand of him, he'll be able to handle that pressure and cope with the fact that he's pretty much got to win 90% of his matches? I don't think the concern is with Ange. I think the concern is with the board. I went back and had a look at the win rates of Celtic managers And the last time a full-time manager had a win rate of less than 50% was uh, Lou Macquarie in uh, 93-94 and 35.29%. That was the last full-time manager. And then before that um, was Jimmy McRory, in who was the coach for nearly 20 years at 49.71% who managed 849 games. I mean, at that point, um, and that, I'm just talking about full-time coaches at that point. Even in general, their win rate is phenomenal. And I just think that the pressure that Celtic as a club as an, and as an institution... I'm not sure that he's going to have the time to build in the way that he necessarily needs to, as opposed to other, that he would at other Scottish clubs. And it's a shame because if he, if the board has the trust in him that they should do, he could do amazing things, but I don't think they're going to give him that time. Do you kind of agree with that, Alex? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've got this kind of automatic, uh, kind of thought that the board they must know what they're getting into right 
Um, if you look uh, at Angie's record, it's all been about having that building season, right, which can go kind of one way or another. Uh, and within reason, you know, I mean, kind of barring any kind of relegation threat or anything like that, um, you'd think that he would be given a bit of a longer leash uh, when you look at what he brings. Now, I think we're going to come into the, onto this in a little bit, but kind of youth development and this kind of thing, you've really got to think about how that's going to benefit a club, a club like Celtic, right? If, if we look at the um, a couple of the deals they've, they've done in the past, a notable one would be Virgil van Dijk, although not a Celtic product, right? They sold him to Southampton, who then sold him on to Liverpool uh, for about 80 million this kind of sell-on clause, right? About 10% or something ridiculous like that. So that's like 8 million. Just So this kind of business, if you think about Ange and some of the youth players he's developed and brought through and the chances he's given in the past, that's all, it, to me, it kind of looks as though they are kind of thinking about a, a you know, a, a long-term sustained period of, of success at Celtic. Um, and I don't think they're just bringing this guy in just as like a short-term kind of, you know, trophies as soon as possible. Um, you know, that said, I mean, if if they kind of this, you know, they start to look a little bit stupid, shall we say? Say if he comes in, they crash out of the Europe, European qualification, yeah. which is where it's soon, right? That The, the first game against Midtjylland yeah, in like from, a month or something. Uh, right? Midtjylland of Denmark. Yeah. The first Pretty much his first like real professional game, right? Um, if they say if they crash out of that, uh, if they lose the first old firm five nil because he's playing the keeper in midfield or something ridiculous like this, then they're going to lose the they're going to lose the fans because the fans don't really care so much about how well they necessarily any derby, right? In Europe, the fans aren't really caring how much they how, how by how well they're playing in the derbies. They just want to win the derby. That's kind of how yeah. expectations kind of work yeah. over in Europe, I suppose, for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, I think you know as long as they're kind of competitive I think part and parcel he should be uh, improving on those total points that Celtic had last season which was a bit you know abysmal by their standards I think if we see yeah, some kind yeah. of improvement yeah in, in terms of the league standings ideally uh, a cup or two uh, you know a domestic cup or two a good run in Europe would be the cherry on the cake I think he'd be given a little bit more time uh, yeah and, and to, to think that the board wouldn't kind of have this in mind I kind of you know I've, my automatic assumption is that they are they do have kind of a long-term vision in mind with this because otherwise, you know, he's had success at every other club he's been at or every, every yeah. other country, right? Um, you would kind of look at his record and, and you'd see how all that's been achieved and to kind of not give him a reasonable amount of time, I think that would just be kind of a little bit naive in my opinion. Um, that said, I do think, you know, it will have to come, there'll have to be kind of a compromise uh, both ways. I think Ange will also kind of, uh, for want of a better word, dilute his approach to a lot of games. I don't think we'll see this complete uh, all-out attack, everyone up front, kind of high-pressure, high-intensity attacking game when they're really exposed at the back. That's what we saw in 2018 at Marinos, right? And we saw what kind of happened that season. It was pretty dire for them. Uh, but luckily, they did stick with them and that achieved great things the next season. So I do think, you know, if we, if the board are going to follow that um, trajectory, I do think, you know, he will be given a bit more time. That said... I don't think, you know, if he goes out, he loses the old firm. He's a big consecutive, a load of losses, right? Five, six games lo uh, loss um, consecutively. Uh, if he's kind of coming out in the press and he's like, uh, you know, I mean, just look at the stats, look at the, the chances we're creating, the possession. I don't think that's going to wash it all. He could lose the fans quite quickly. Uh, and then that would kind of have a, an impact on the board uh, and kind of force their hand perhaps at some point. Celtic are known for playing attacking football fast football. Brendan Rodgers played attacking football and that was kind of his downside was Brendan Rodgers in Europe played the same football as he did in the Premier League so that would be interesting how Andrew does in, in Europe because obviously he's up against higher quality of teams.
he he can change tactically then. He isn't just a one man. He's got a plan B. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he's taken clubs to Asia, um, both at the club level and at the national level. Um, so he can adjust to that defensive style that is needed at the continental level. And he's got a history of doing well in the transfer window. I mean, there's talk at the moment about about uh, Maddie Ryan going from Arsenal to Celtic for, I think, £3 million, um, which would be an absolute bargain, quite frankly. I've also seen Aaron Moy being linked this week. I read that as well. Yeah. What do you think, Chris, about Matt Ryan in terms of uh, as a goalkeeper and, and if he um, d- does he suit Ange's expectations of a goalkeeper? Because, uh, I mean, he, he expects that all of his keepers have to have a very high standard of, of ball-playing ability, right? Playing out from the back, uh, this kind of thing. Do you think Matt Ryan fits that profile? Uh, and how was Matt Ryan when he was playing under Ange? Do you recall... They, he, Matt Ryan has been excellent. Like, I remember Matt Ryan playing in the A-League in 2011. Like, he has been a first-choice keeper since he was about 17, 18 years old. Like, he has been an excellent keeper in Australia. Um, he's been ahead of a number of, of older keepers um, now. Um, and he's the number one keeper for Australia at the moment. Um, so he was playing in... Um, he was playing in Q8 just last week. Um, so I don't think he'll have any problems working with Ange going over there and adjusting to that style, to whatever style he plays. Um, to adjust to that style, I mean, you're, the other option would be probably, I mean, if he could pick up Mitch Langerak um, out of Nagoya, who would pro- who's probably been on the receiving end of that Ange tactic um, in recent years, a little bit more than probably most um, would probably be your only other choice, but I think Nagoya would rather keep him, keep Mitch um, in their hands at the moment rather than anyone else. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, someone that wants to leave and would happily play under Ange, uh, I mean Matt Ryan would be a great signing, quite frankly. And it goes by that thing that you were saying of bringing in a player who's not playing. I think he's played twice for Arsenal. I think it's something like that. It's something obscene like that. Then do you think there is anyone, Alex, that you will actually bring over from the J-League to Scotland? And do you think a J-League player would want to come to Scotland? Uh, well, yeah, I think, you know, most J-League players would want to go and play for Celtic, right? With, with the chance of playing in Europe and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, there's been a lot of names kind of thrown about, about who could possibly... Um, go over, follow Ange, or, or who Ange could poach from, from other clubs. Um, I was actually speaking with Scott McIntyre of the Asian Game, who's been quite close to, to Ange, pretty much throughout his whole managerial career, and he was telling me that, uh, he goes, well, Ange rarely does this, he rarely kind of poaches players from ex-clubs when he, when he makes a when he makes a move, right? He rarely, In terms of players, backroom staff's a different thing, but um, when he's yeah. with, with players, he very rarely kind of brings players over. Um, unless, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why he would, given the resources that Celtic have surely got in terms of um, yeah. scouting and, and in terms of finances, I don't see any reason why he would want to specifically target any of the... Uh, the players he's worked with, unless they are kind of like far and away an improvement on on what um, 
what they have available or there's some kind of development opportunities, right? A really young player. Um, so the two, the two notable names that I've seen um, um, tossed yeah. around, and I don't think there's much substance to this. Uh, yesterday, I think it was the daily record, right? Over there in Scotland, Al Tanaka. Yeah, that's what, it's literally that's what we're looking say. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Altonaka of Kawasaki Frontale, centre midfielder, I think he's about 22 years old. Uh, he He's the latest one to, to kind of come into the spotlight. Um, yeah, great player of the ball, very kind of reliable in, in, in possession, fits uh, Angie's style quite well. Um, a lot of other people are talking about like Kaoru Mitoma at, at uh, Kawasaki Frontale. He's the next one who's tipped to kind of make some kind of big European move. Um, yeah, kind of similar, very kind of creative, bit more forward than, than Tanaka is. That would be a very kind of interesting move. How these two would adapt to Scottish football and the physicality is, is quite questionable, right? Um, one of the big issues we have with the, I don't want to say issues, but one of the challenges maybe that we see with Japanese players coming to, to the Premier League at least, and maybe it's the same in, in the Scottish Premier League, is that the physicality is quite tough for them to adapt to, right? Simple things like shielding the ball. They, they can't really kind of, they, they don't have the strength to kind of, you know, fight off players and stuff. They're very easily tackled and, and, and this kind of thing. They don't really come off too well. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think the more creative Japanese players don't do so well over in over in uh, England or perhaps Scotland. Um, definitely in Germany, in Italy and in Spain. It's a bit, a bit of a different story. Uh, France as well uh, and some of the other smaller European countries. We've got a little bit more of a success story to talk about there. Um, but I think those players might find it challenging in, in the Scottish Premier League. I might be wrong. Um, you know, I mean, anyone can kind of let me know if they've got a different opinion on that. But that's my kind of first thought so i don't i'm not too sure actually there's um yeah i mean there's definitely these a lot of the guys at marinos they do of course they know what Ange ball is all about what they should be doing and this kind of thing um we could talk about maybe a, a defensive option like uh is it tiago martens he's a center back at um at marinos a very good ball player understands what a, a center back should be in terms of Ange's definition right um there's the two forwards at the moment daisen maida a young Japanese guy. I think he was at, uh, he actually played in Portugal for a bit, Portimonense. So he's been yeah. overseas. He might uh, do a little bit better. Uh, he's young and he's a bit more physical, right? Very kind of relentless. Better, in, in my opinion. Um, he's very relentless, contributes in defense and attack, has the lungs to keep going all game. Um, and I think, you know, he, he seems to be very gritty as well, not afraid of a challenge and not afraid of the physicality. So he could do well in, in Scotland. But I don't know. I mean, you you're an SP. You support Hibs, right, Owen? So you kind of yeah. you might have a better idea of what Celtic, what kind of shape their team is in at the moment, right? Is this like a coming to the end of the cycle of a generation? It's massively coming into an end of a cycle. I mean, the Matt Ryan rumor makes sense because they brought in a keeper last season, but Brancas mm. and he didn't do very well. They they had a bit of a goalkeeping issue really. They had Fraser Foster the season before on loan, and he was very good. Um, so yeah, they massively they they need a new keeper in the summer. Although he'll have to get rid of some players first. Um, they'll probably need at least one or two centre backs. They definitely need a right back. Yeah, they probably need a couple of winners. Yeah, attackers. Yeah, they need players all over the pitch. Um, Edward who plays up front is probably likely to be away. So a goal scorer is going to be top of his list. But he'll need to sign someone who, obviously can't guarantee anything, but he'll need to sign someone who will hopefully grab him 15 to 20 goals in a season. So I don't know whether he's going to want to go to Japan for something like that when he doesn't know if they're going to be able to fit the Scottish game because... Scottish defenders are physical. 
the big guys and if they're up against a small striker they're just going to kick him all game and they're not going to give him any time on the ball so I think probably if he wants to go for a goal scorer he'll go for someone who's already done it in Scotland I'd think yeah I mean if you ask me I don't think I don't think we'll see anyone coming from Japan probably um making the move I think it could be a new cast of characters that he goes for and I think he should yeah, yeah. Matt Ryan is a bargain at three for any team I think he's a bargain for three million pounds oh, right? yeah I think yeah. you know any anyone yeah. but Aaron Moy right Aaron Moy is how old now at 30 and playing in China uh, I've literally got to check my notes he is um, I'm pulling it up now. I mean he's been capped 43 times now uh, he's yeah he's 30 now uh, capped 43 times for six goal, uh, for six goals, he hasn't played a lot of games for Shanghai this season. Mostly, he's played five games for one goal. Um, didn't travel for this season of um, for this season of um, AFC games for qualifiers. Mostly because he wanted to spend time with his family, and this was the only chance he was going to get. Um, but to be honest, like. Like he'd probably do well in Scotland, to be honest. He's, you know, he's a big. He, he's five foot nine, but he's got, you know, he can run. Um, he'd be well known to, to Ange, given his time in the national team and in, you know, playing for Western Sydney Wanderers and in Melbourne. He's already played for St Mirren before, um, so he, yeah, he played for St Mirren from twenty ten to, twenty twelve, uh, twenty one games uh, for one goal. Uh, yeah, and he was on the. Uh, he played for Bolton as part of his youth career, as well. Yeah, he knows the he knows the Scottish football well, and also, what I was talking about with Ange needing to get fans on side quickly, signing someone like Aaron Moy, who the Celtic fans will know, is going to get get them on side. I don't. I think if they signed. If they sign someone from Japan, I think it could go down well. Like um, Nakamura is a cult hero at Celtic. Celtic fans aren't going to be opposed to bringing someone in from Japanese football. Yeah, it's just whether they can handle the physicality. Because yeah, Scottish football is physical. I mean, if anyone watched Scotland, England, like that's how Scottish footballers play. I was hoping we wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, they'd be they'd be better off choosing someone from West Asia or the West Asia, West Asia Central Asia. I watched some of the Iraq Iran game um, last week, and that was they are really physical. The one thing you kind of touched on there is this idea that Ange likes to bring through youth. There's there's a few young boys coming through at Celtic at the moment, and they've not really had a chance yet. There's this young boy called Dembele. Um, who made his under-20 debut at 13 years old for Celtic. Um, and yeah, so you think Ange is the type of manager that will allow these young players to get a chance. And from your experience of seeing him giving young boys a chance, does if they fail, well, fail is maybe the wrong word, but if they don't perform in their first few games, do they, does he still give them the time? He does like to give them an opportunity. Uh, yeah. He'll give them a chance. I mean, if you look at some of the players he's brought in over the year, he, it'll be a mix of young... of He'll have a mix of young kids and, the, and some older, experienced players as well. Uh, and he'll be looking all over 
for some of those younger ones, for some of those for that mixture. Um, you know, you, you look at some of the players that he's brought through over the years. Uh, you look at people like Tommy Orr. Tommy Orr's a great example, to be honest. He started playing. He was really, I mean, he's only 29 now, uh, but he's played, uh, he played a, an enormous role for Brisbane Roar under Ange. Um, before he went off to um, Utrecht, uh, and was fantastic there. Uh, he's played. He played what, hundred and five games for Utrecht, um, and played for Apoel. And he's been capped twenty six times. He's only twenty nine now. So he was twenty one, I think. Twenty twenty one. There. He's a fantastic player. Uh, Michael Zulo played for him. He was 23, 23 at the time. So he will give give young players an opportunity to have that to, you know, to get that going. So, yeah, young ones will have a chance, but you have to prove yourself. And was that the same with F. Marinos in Japan, Alex? Um, I think the most notable one that a lot of people, you know, who were following Marinos um, in the ACL uh, last season will remember is the young keeper, Obi, Obina. Um, he was basically given the number one spot kind of partway through uh, the tournament, right? And I think Ange did have another another option to put in a more experienced keeper. Um, yeah, he, he went on to do pretty well. Uh, I think it was at the beginning of those knockout stages. Saved an incredible penalty. I think it was who was the guy actually? It was in the game against SIPG. Um, he yeah, incredible penalty save there. Um, I'm trying to find out. It was probably Oscar or Hulk. It's always one kind of like a uh, single name, right? Oh yeah, against Oscar. Yeah. Um, yeah, the next game, I think it was the semis against Suwon, right? Obi, he did kind of let in that, that halfway line shot, um, quite kind of, uh, you know, quite comically, comically, which we've seen kind of do the rounds on Twitter a bit. But he did give the kid a, the kid a chance, more than just one game. Uh, we have seen him used sparingly since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just shows that maybe even to a fault that he, he and just not, you know, afraid to to give youth a chance. Uh, that kid at, at Celtic, Dembele, I remember him coming through and I do remember that debut. I think he's going to get some game time as well. We can expect to see him more and more um, and I think you know it is one of his uh, one of his better qualities as a manager right because youth is all about the long term planning he's not in it just for the season not in it just for a quick cup win or league win he's really planning for the future even after he leaves the club uh, this youth pipeline is going to keep on on coming through um, yeah and we have to remember Takafusa Kubo he did give him at the game in which uh, Kubo went on to get his first J-League goal so the record is there Maybe he could get Kubo in on loan for a season. Interesting, but the f- yeah, possibly, right? Because he's going to look for another club. I just don't see Kubo leaving Spain. Yeah, I think, you're right. to be fair, I think you're right. He also doesn't speak English, and but he does speak Spanish. He, he does. He, he speaks Spanish. it. No, he's, he's, it's okay. I've heard him speak English a little bit. Um, he speaks it reasonably well. Um, he'd probably right. need a little bit of a hand, but uh, Spanish is, is it's impeccable. I don't think Celtic would struggle getting translators in. <laughs> given oh, the accents, given the accent, I think you'd need one for Matt Ryan, right? Given the uh, the Scottish accents, Angel probably need one himself, uh, an Australian to Scottish kind of interpreter. Ah, uh, we do all right. We've got plenty of Scottish people in Australia. That's not too much of a problem. 
Yeah, there's not actually that many Scottish players left at Celtic at the moment. And what about, um, I, I was reading, I think it was yesterday, I was reading that Ange actually made a phone call to Lee Griffiths, right? In the past couple yeah. of days, kind of saying like, hi, a bit of an introduction, uh, Lee is in, is in the plans uh, for next season and this kind of thing. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Owen, because he's not been picked for Scotland in the, in the Euros, right? No, he's not. Um, I actually saw um, an interview with him yesterday and he he was very much not wanting to say anything on his Celtic future, but he he was told, the media says that he wasn't fit last season. Lee Griffith says he was fit, he just wasn't getting a game. He, so that's why he wasn't picked for Scotland, because he wasn't playing for Celtic. Um, Lee Griffith's ability to finish is probably one of the best you'll see. He can strike a free kick, I don't know... If you've seen any of his free kicks before, obviously he scored just two against England. Um, but he's got a bit of a history of being able to score a free kick from anywhere. He's he's a great finisher, but he's... I'm trying to think of the nicest way to put it. Lee Griffiths is a bit, um, as they say in Scotland, tapped. Um, and what that means is he's got... He's, he's a bit unpredictable, shall we say, Lee Griffiths. Um, on, on and off the pitch... He's very unpredictable. He's a type of he's been pictured um, in pubs and in songs that football players should not be seen in. Um, he tied a Celtic scarf to a goalpost at Ibrox. Um, he's got a history of winding up opposition fans. He's just um, yeah, he's he's hard work at times. So if Ange can deal with that, does Ange have much of a reputation of dealing with difficult players yeah we had we had a um there was a player in um in his side called Bessart Berisha he's um only recently in the last couple of years become an Australian citizen after being he originally represented Albania and then represented Kosovo I believe it was uh I'm not sure about the Albania part but definitely Kosovo now um at one point in his career at Brisbane Raw, he offered to take, he very kindly offered to take a Sydney player down through the tunnel out to the car park to settle a dispute on the field um, at the end of a match. Um, and he's only calmed down slightly since then. He's still playing now for, a, for Western United after a stint at Melbourne Victory. And I believe he played in the J-League briefly uh for i think it was about six months six to twelve months um a few seasons ago but um i can't don't think it was under Ange, but it was under someone um yeah he's certainly a uh an interesting character in his own right but yeah Ange can deal with the uh the spicier characters in the league so yeah to put it this way um, Ange would be silly to let him go. He's he's a very good player. If you can get him fit, you can get him raring to go, then, yeah, he's a very good player. He could get himself back in the Scotland team um, as well. I don't think I don't think he's played this last game for Scotland. I mean, Hibs have been very heavily hit, um, tipped to sign him if, if Ange doesn't want him. Basically, if Ange doesn't want him, he'll sign for Hibs. So I kind of hope he doesn't want him, but I think it'd be very silly to not want him. Okay then, to kind of finish up on the Celtic chat, and I understand you're going to leave us after the Celtic chat, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, so just to finish up on the Celtic chat, I think, what would your message be to Celtic fans then? Be patient, but 
they could be on in for a very exciting ride and and can definitely win trophies. Would you say that's fair? I would say just look at the record. He's succeeded everywhere he's been. Um, it's a guy who rises to the challenge. He's probably thriving off the scepticism that, that he's received. Although, to be fair, it's kind of died down a little bit now. Um, yeah, to, to, you know, you can't really blame um, the scepticism that, that we've seen from some of the fans uh, in Scotland. They don't really know who he is. It's very hard to follow Asian football. Um, so I just think that they will be pleasantly surprised. And it's all laid out to uh, return to winning ways in the long term, I think. Out of interest, just a question just to end on. If someone gave you, well, we'll say £100 because he plays in Scotland. If someone gave you £100 on Celtic to win the league, would you take it or do you think it would be quite a difficult challenge for him to win a title in his first season? No, no I, I don't think that. I think it's going to be tough because Rangers are doing well, right, under under Stephen Gerrard. I think that's kind yeah. of going to be... I think, well, I mean, yeah, again, because we, we've seen before that it does take on a little bit of a building season to get going I think a cup one of those two domestic cups the league cup or the Scottish cup is well within possibility yeah. um, the icing like I say the icing on the cake would be a kind of a, some kind of run in, in Europe whether it's the UEFA cup or this new conference this UEFA yeah. conference thing they can get Celtic can get into that right so I think that could be one of the yeah the stupidness of it all is they're in the Champions League qualifier they lose that they go into a Europa League qualifier they lose a playoff in the Europa League. They go into the Conference League group stages, so they've got they've got three chances of get. So really, they have no excuses. They they should be playing group stage European football this season. But whether it's the Champions League, the Europa League, or the Europa Conference, but ov- yeah, obviously I mean, they, they want Champions League. Yeah, I mean, I'll just have expectations in 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 check. You know, um, he's just coming in. He's going right into the deep end with really important European qualification matches. Um, and I'm sure before long it'll all come to fruition. Thank you very much. Um, would you kind of agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Just remember, I would point out that this is a long-term project. It's going to take time. Uh, think of it as like those Premier League clubs that have that are always in and around, that are in there. I don't want to say they're a smaller club. If I'm thinking of like Burnley that are always that are always like mid table, but they're always producing excellent players that go on and do other things. I think uh, that's my that's what I'm thinking about. That's what he's working towards developing a club that can do excellent things, and he's doing it with an attacking vision as part of that. He's trying to develop a whole of club, whole of organization vision that he's presenting. So with that in mind, as long as you take that long-term vision, it will be excellent for Celtic as a whole. So don't think that he's going to instantly change things. It's going to take time. So give him that time. I think he can do well in Europe. He's not going to win you the Champions League in the first season. He's not. You're not going to win the quadruple or the quintuple, you know, straight out of the gate. You know, that takes years and certainly not many managers do it. But give him time to get his vision in place and trust in trust in him. Really interesting. I hope Celtic fans who are listening as well find it interesting and are feeling a wee bit more confident about Ange coming in. Um, but thank, thank you very much, then, Alex, for joining us today. Um, it's been really good having you on. I appreciate your time.
No, thank you very much for, for having me on. It's been been interesting and, and hopefully maybe a couple of months, six months down the road, we can have a recap of of what's happened and, and, and come back to the things that we've spoken about, see if it's come to come to you know, come to light or not. And hopefully yeah, hopefully Ange isn't back in Australia in six months time. <laughs> or back in Japan. Yeah, or Japan, I <laughs> All right, cheers, cheers uh, Alex. Thanks Alex. Thanks guys. Thanks Alex. And um, moving on then from talking Celtic. We're going to go back to um, Asian football and the Asian World Cup qualifiers obviously just finished. Chris, we've, we're now into our final stages of qualifiers and they obviously did these in their wee bubbles. Um, but yeah, what did you make of these matches? Um, there was actually quite a lot of excitement to be had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, some of those groups got really interesting. Um I mean, for me, I, there were a couple of groups I was particularly excited by. Um, some of them less interesting. Um, but, yeah, it got really... It Certainly some of the groups got really spicy right towards the end. It was great. Yeah, it was really quite entertaining. And um, I don't know, do you want to... Shall we just kind of go through the games, um, like, group by group? Yeah, let's go group by group. OK, then. So, Group A was an interesting one because... It was Syria, China, the Philippines, the Maldives and Guam. And I'd imagine most people like would have thought China would have won that group. Yeah, certainly uh, the prediction when we started that group two years ago, uh, now that I think about it. Yeah, I know it's a bit scary when we think about it that way. Uh, most people would have predicted China to top that group. I think that got thrown out when China lost to Syria um, at home, I think it was, back in 2019. That put the cat among the pigeons. Uh, so when that happened, that uh, that changed a lot of things in the mind of people just watching this. Um, as a result, um, Syria went through and won this group, topped this group uh, quite significantly in the end. Uh, it certainly didn't help... Um, you know, China, China uh, drawing with the Philippines uh, during the hub. Uh, and it also probably didn't help when certain delays occurred, which resulted in the whole hub moving from um, Suzhou in China to Sharjah in the United Arab Emirates on late notice. We were kind of talking about it a little bit before. Do you think Syria team to be a bit wary of in the final round of World Cup qualifiers? <clears throat> well, as an Australian, we've um, we've struggled with Syria in the past, and I think Syria are should be higher ranked than they are. Uh, Syria, unfortunately, don't get to play in Syria at the moment, obviously due to the situation there. In the past, they've played their home matches in Malaysia. They've played in the UAE. Uh, I believe they've even played some of their home fixtures in Iran. Um, yeah. Um, and potentially, I think they even played some games in Iraq, in Baghdad at one point, which I, which is an Australian I found odd, considering that most people aren't allowed to travel there, um, I think. Um, but either way, they are. I think they should be higher ranked by FIFA than they really are. So if they get if they play more often uh, against not just their Middle Eastern opponents but against European and other nations, I think they will be better ranked than their current rank shows them to be. Um, 
China needs to desperately change its sporting culture when it comes to football, and then they will be get the higher rank they need. Is is that ever going to change? No, that's not going to change. They, I suspect that they will remain um, in their rank in what is it, the seventies or eighties for a while. Yeah, and then obviously there was the Philippines who had some decent results, obviously drawing with China. They yeah. they look like maybe in 10, 15 years' time they could start improving and they're maybe one to look out for. The Philippines is an interesting one. Um, I was I had thought the Maldives would be better than them, but the Maldives have seemed to have gone backwards, in my opinion. Um, so when I look, so I was a little bit surprised to see the Maldives do as well as they have. The other thing about um, the Philippines is that their team, their national team players, are playing all over the world. Like they have players in Germany, in Malaysia, in Thailand, in Japan, in Switzerland. They've even got one at Hibs, to be honest. Yeah, Slovenia, in Canada, uh, in Gibraltar. Uh, one at Birmingham City got caught. Uh, they one of their keepers is at Birmingham City. New Uh Swede, yeah, all over. It's really fantastic, and you know they got so they've actually done really well in recent years. So they've got enormous potential in the near future. I would like to see how their younger squads perform. I think that's for me. Keeping an eye on their on U twenty three and U twenty squads. Asia is a really good indicator of how the future will go for certainly Southeast Asian, for less developed nations when it comes to football. I mean, the thing with the Philippines and China is they've got such a large pool of, well, they've got a large population that in theory they can pull on, which obviously the Maldives is a very small island. It's hard for them to do a lot. Yeah, it is. I mean, in fairness to the Maldives, they are very good in South Asia, uh, which is you, which is something of a surprise considering they're competing against countries like India. Um, <clears throat> but they still tend to perform very well at that level. Um, but that's the highest level they can really compete at. Beyond that, they tend to struggle. And in fairness, South Asia is not really noted for football. At the same time, Guam did Guam stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Gam's a tiny, <laughs> tiny island. Yeah. Um, they did very well to get to the second round of qualifiers, to be honest with you. And they did score two goals. Yeah, one against the Philippines and one against the Maldives. So, you know, they, they're qualifying round um, for the Asian Cup, so they've still got a chance. Yeah, that door's not been made yet, has it? Yeah, July the 1st. Yeah, so that the the rest of the Asian Cup draw will come out on july the 1st so that's including the um the third yeah the third round will be drawn then an absolute phenomenal achievement if gum qualified for the asian cup well in fairness you look at some of the countries that were knocked out like mongolia you know mongolia has made it to the next round um which was enormous surprised uh sri lanka at 204th in the world has made it through both of those countries had to go through the first round. Um, Bangladesh has got Bangladesh is still in. Uh, Malaysia, uh, Cambodia's got a, Cambodia and Guam 
have to go through the knockout. So if you think about the teams that were in like the very first round, four of those nations that went through that first round are still in with a chance of qualifying for the Asian Cup. So in reality, there's only one, two, there's only six nations that are totally out of it. Well, seven once you include North Korea, but that's a separate discussion. Yeah, which we'll get on to when we talk about the group. Um, so yeah. Group B then, this yeah. is this finished Australia, Kuwait, Jordan, Nepal, and Taiwan. Um, yeah. And yeah, starting with Australia then, obviously as an Aussie, you must yeah. be you must be pretty happy with that then. Eight wins out of I'm eight, 28 goals yeah. scored. Yeah, very happy with that. I've just realised that the only goals we conceded were against Taiwan and in both fixtures. So Kuwait, Jordan and Nepal couldn't score on us, but Chinese Taipei could. And they had to go they have to go to the qualifying playoff round, which I find kinda of hilarious in its own right. Um but you know not too bad. Um, we finished with, we were 8 from 8, uh, plus 26, which is pretty good. I mean, how good is um, Harry Suter? Oh, Harry, like, when he, like, he's, he, well, he's something like 6 goals from 4, into, 6 or 8 goals from 4, from 6 international. He is, like, I've been raving about him for, like, as soon as he appeared on the, on the scene, I was all about him. He is amazing. For a central defender... Like he's not even a striker. He is a central. He is like six foot eight. No, sorry, six foot six. He is a centre back, and in his five fixture five caps, he has scored six goals. He is the second tallest player ever for Australia. How do you how did you persuade him to play for Australia? Probably because Scotland didn't cap him first. No, because. He debuted for the Scotland under-17 and under-19 team, and then he played for our under-23 team, and then he played his first full international for us in 2019. So whoever did that, whoever, how we did that, I think it must have been Graham Arnold, very, very smart, um, who did that. And he's been brilliant for Stoke, um, from all reports. And the rumours are that people are ch- there are clubs chasing him as well. Yeah, I mean, he um, yeah he had a big season last season with them. Um, yeah. He played thirty eight times. He only got the one yeah. goal for them, but yeah, yeah. Um, last season was his most impressive season. And he's only twenty two years old. He could yeah he could go on and do something in the game for sure. I mean, in theory, he can go and represent us at the Olympics. Yeah, of course he can because he is only twenty two. Yeah. I think it's important to note that we only beat Jordan 1-0 in both those fixtures. And that's maybe a little bit for worry going into games yeah. against bigger nations. Compared to us beating Kuwait 3-0 on both occasions, I don't know, it probably shows that Jordan is actually, um, you know, Jordan should be considered... I mean, we knew the Middle East was going to be tough. Those two countries were going to be a bit tougher. But Jordan should be considered... Uh, as a bigger threat than people realise. I mean, in theory, Jordan just missed out. Uh, I mean, I know they're third, and technically they missed out on goals scored and goal difference. Um, but, you know, Kuwait was bottom of that group. But Jordan's a decent nation. You know, Jordan's decent. Kuwait is on the rise um, after their suspension. That's why they're ranked so low at 148. Yeah, Nepal... 
is a lot further down, and to be honest, they don't play a lot. Um, and you know, Chinese Taipei just don't get the chance. Yeah, they had their two English managers, and they, Sky White especially, really helped to kind of push the game forward in Taiwan. And I think it's now getting to the stage where they're pattering a bit and their their league's improving and it's a decent standard for for the country compared to what it was like. It's just now now is the issue of getting people on board in the country. From what I understand, one of the major problems is that players go and play in China and then they don't get released. Yeah, I mean, I don't... That's not so much of an issue as in... I mean, it is an issue if they have players playing in um, China. Um, there's a couple at the moment, yeah. that I think, that play out in China. Uh, Tim Chow, obviously, is Taiwanese and um, he's only been picked once. And I don't really know the exact reason why he's not able to play for Taiwan. But he also plays in China. And, yeah, yeah. I guess that is an issue because if you're a good footballer in Taiwan... The Chinese are going to want you to play, especially because there's you're not uh, you're not be counted in the foreign quarter. quarter. So exactly. you can come through. So yeah, yeah, it is an issue, but I think it's more just there's not enough engagement in the game yet. Um, Group C, uh, that was that was always going to be a bit spicy with Iraq and Iran in the same group. That last game between Iraq and Iran, um, I watched the highlights of that. And that was one of the most physical games of football I have ever seen in my entire life. And that's coming from an Australian. And, um, yeah, and obviously Iran ran out winners. Um, yeah. Iran, Iran are going to be pretty happy because for, for a brief period in that group, they looked like they might not win it. And, and yeah. because it was so tight, they could have ended up finishing third. Yeah, that group got really tight. They were... Because they had... They lost to... Uh, they lost to Bahrain um, in one fixture and they had lost to Iraq. Uh, so that had put them on a pretty... That had made things really tight. Uh, but equally, Iraq's draws, two draws with Bahrain, had made things a struggle for them. And then Bahrain had, had also drawn with Hong Kong. So like those three nations fighting it out we're going to have a really tough time. So, you know, getting the getting the the wins over each other kind of helped each other out because it kept Bahrain out. Because Iran beating uh, Bahrain uh, in the second half certainly helped keep them down. And the fact that Bahrain struggled beyond their four wins, you know, meant they were only getting single points. Yeah, but I mean... Iran maybe got a little bit lucky in the fact that Bahrain, despite beating them, kind of dropped off in other games. Yeah, exactly. You know, Bahrain drawing with Hong Kong um, away, that's not a good result for them. And Hong Kong were disappointing. Um, yeah. From reading the views of people in Hong Kong, I don't think they're very happy with Mitch Patterline and their manager. And mm. yeah, I think they kind of, they want to change because I think they felt they should have done better than just pick up the one win against Cambodia. Cambodia, like as much as I, I would still question the how wise it is having Kasuki Honda have coaching Cambodia if he is still coaching them 
from afar. No, Cambodia. I think he's still technically involved with the Cambodian national team. I just don't think he's a manager yeah. as such. I know he was doing something for them. Yeah, almost like a, almost like an ambassador for the national side. Because um, he is it's more his name trying to help them kind of improve yeah. because obviously he's a massive name. It's a weird, but yeah, I mean Hong Kong was. Uh, to be honest, I thought Hong Kong did much better in the last rep, the last system. You know, two draws against China is much better than, you know, particularly, you know, two draws against China was really good. I'm not even sure they'll get to, Hong Kong will get to do that well in the next round either, based on these results. No, these I, think, results. I think it's going to be tough for them, to be honest with you. Group D turned into a bit of a damp squib, damp squib in the end. It's the one that we huh? we wanted to be excited, really. Saudi Arabia, yeah. Uzbekistan, Palestine, Singapore, and Yemen. But saying that, Singapore did better than I expected. Yeah, um, so what did you think of Singapore? Well, Singapore picking up points against Palestine was... Uh, picking up pa- points against Palestine was good. I mean, I expected them to pick up points against Yemen. Um, but picking up points against uh, Palestine was a good result for them. And, you know, they, they pushed... They pushed uh, in their games against Saudi and Uzbekistan where they could. I mean, they were always going to get overpowered. But at least they tried. I'll give them that much. <clears throat> I think though they could do quite. W- they could do quite well for a. Uh, they could be decent for a for a potential second spot, depending on their grouping, in um, the third round. Um, and. Um... We talk, we'll talk about Vietnam soon, and we talked about how they did well at the U23 Asian Cup back in, what yeah. was it, 2018. And, yeah. Um, yeah, they lost to Uzbekistan in the final, and they've they finished second in Group D. So it would be interesting to see whether yeah. Uzbekistan can do more in the game. Uzbekistan would be very disappointed. Not to have won the group. Uh, or at least qualified as a runner-up. Yeah, Uzbekistan finished uh, because of... The withdrawal. They finished with three wins and three losses, for nine points. Um, so smashing Yemen for a total of six goals wound up not really mattering for much. So they needed to pick up better results. So obviously the uh, you know losing uh, you know the they need to work on that. Obviously, yeah, so they need to think about how they go about that. Um, yeah, I think Uzbekistan will do very well in that next round. They won't worry, but so but it means they'll be a threat in the Asian Cup in 2023. Um, Saudi, you know, Saudi, a decent nation, um, six wins and two draws. Um, I mean, the thing that's interesting is those draws came against Palestine and Yemen. That would be what I would be worried about if I was the Saudi national coach manager. The point is that all these games were such such a long time ago that you kind yeah. of feel like when we get to the next round of qualifiers, it, they could be all new squads almost. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, group E, um, I was when I saw this group. I pretty much penciled in the top two and it was just like, okay, these two are going to be in the top two. It's just a question of what the order are. And then the next three I didn't really, wasn't really interested in. Um, Qatar, um, 
I mean, Qatar and Oman, you know, sorts around. Uh, I was surprised that Qatar drew with India um, with a nil-all draw. That came. That was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, and then um, Oman dropped points. Um, they dropped points to... They dropped points in a, some somewhere really weird. Um, Where they obviously they obviously lost to Qatar. Yeah, no, no they they lost two games. I'm just trying, I'm looking at they lost to Qatar. They lost twice to Qatar. That's what it was. On the other hand, though, Afghanistan uh, picking up three draws, um, one against in. You know, two against India and one against Bangladesh. That's a pretty good result for them. You know, sure, they finished minus 10, but for a country that's, you know, you don't exactly think of them as a footballing nation. No, I thought that was a pretty good result for them. Um, Bangladesh picking up a couple of draws, one against Afghanistan and one against India. I mean, I think that's more of an indictment on India than anything else. I mean, in India only won one game, and that was against Bangladesh 2-0. All the others are draws and losses. I get the impression that the Indian fans aren't overly happy with how they've done. Yeah. I feel like they think they should have done better than they did. Yeah, so that raises a lot of questions. Um, and if you look at, you know, if you look at India, you know, India did slightly better than Myanmar, who's going through a civil war. And they, Myanmar, finished bottom of the group with six points, and you've got to, you've got to wonder at Group F, and you it's, you've got to really question yourself about that one. Yeah, Group F. Um, yeah, Japan obviously, like Australia, Japan just cruised through qualifying. I mean, to be honest, Australia worked hard. Japan didn't even get out of cruise control. No, they didn't. I mean, they were in an easier group. Yeah, true. And they did concede goals against tougher nations in Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. But they, you know, yeah. But, uh, you know, they beat, you know, beat Myanmar 10-0. They beat Mongolia 14-0. Um, <clears throat> I feel that Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan um, will do well in Asian Cup qualifying, third round qualifying. Um I get the feeling they are underrated. I will say, uh, in favour of Myanmar, though, you know, to beat Tajikistan 4-3 and to beat Mongolia 1-0 is impressive. And similarly, you know, Mongolia picked up a 1-0 win against Myanmar and a 1-0 win against Kyrgyzstan. So once you remove Japan from that group, that group actually gets really tight, really fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's it, isn't it? It was quite a tight group after Japan, but the point was yeah. that none of the teams were close to being on Japan's level. I mean, Mongolia and Myanmar still have a long way to go. They're very low-ranked, but they have potential, um, not compared to the group we're about to get onto, um, which is Group G, which is what I call the Southeast Asian group, plus the UAE. If this was, I think this group would have looked very different if it wasn't in a hub. Yeah, you think so? Because of the, 
you think Newey may have struggled a bit more playing in Southeast Asia in front of big those big passionate fans. I think it would have. I think it would have changed a bit. Um, I don't know how much it would have changed, but I think there would have been some different results. So Newey um, won all their games in the hub. Yeah, they won all their games in the hub, and certainly if you think about the passionate fans you get in Vietnam and Malaysia and Thailand, and in Indonesia, that would change the atmosphere significantly. So I think some of those results would change. Um, but at the same time, credit to the UAE, credit to Vietnam for qualifying in what was an undoubtedly, what sh- should have been much a much tighter group than it turned out to be. Um, Indonesia should have been much better. Thailand should have been much better and their fans know it. I'm surprised that Malaysia finished where they, where they did. Um, and I think Vietnam are happy that they qualified um, in that second spot and qualified into the group. They they might not do a lot in the final round of qualifiers, but they're going to be at the Asian Cup and they've got this far. And um, the other thing is, as we were discussing just before recording, they're one of the nations that maybe in 10, 15 years could go to a World Cup. I would definitely see Vietnam at a World Cup soon, like really soon. Okay, then I'm going to the final group, Group H. Um, yeah. The South Korea, Lebanon, Turkmenistan, and Sri Lanka, and obviously North Korea were meant to be in this group. Yeah, this this group got really interesting once North Korea drew, uh, withdrew, I should say. So at the t- so once so before North Korea pulled out of the group. Turkmenistan was, I think, Turkmenistan was, I think, at the top of the group, and South Korea was second, and North Korea was third or something like that. It was actually really tight. Then once North Korea withdrew, all the results against them were voided, and it changed the entire dimension of the group. Um, Turkmenistan had had done well against uh, North Korea. Lebanon had done all right. They'd picked up two draws. And there was still South Korea... Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Lebanon had played them twice uh, for a win and a draw. Uh, Turkmenistan had played them once for a win. No, I think I've got that wrong. Either way, the the result games had been played and now they'd been voided. So the entire dimension changed which gave South Korea a slight advantage, which South Korea was then able to take advantage of. Um, they went through and did what they needed to do. They uh, Their draw against Lebanon uh, earlier worked in their favour, um, uh, certainly you know, beating Lebanon in the final match certainly helped. Uh, they weren't as convincing as I thought they might be, I mean, sure, they spent Sri Lanka, but that was to be expected. Well, this is what I would say. I think of all the top nations of your Japans, your Australias, even like your Irans, um, like the ones who have been at World Cups in recent years, they're the ones who I think worry me the most going into the final round of qualifiers. If I was a South Korea fan, I'd be a little bit concerned. I think they're a little bit negative in the way they set up. And yeah. I don't think they use their attacking options to the best of their ability, especially when they've probably got the best attacker in Asian football. Yeah, I don't know. 
and considering they played, you know, they only had they had less games than everyone else to play, um, and they st- you know they had less games to play, they could take it a lot easier, and then playing in that negative way, it's like why? Yeah, I just feel like like Japan, they never really needed to get out of first gear, but unlike Japan, they they didn't look anywhere near as convincing. Again, it was a slightly harder group, but um, yeah. I don't. I mean, they obviously drew with North Korea, but I guess that was in North Korea, so I think that's one of those freak results that you can't really read too much into. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to North Korea going forward because they're not playing Asia Cup, they're not playing World Cup qualifiers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any punishment for them going forward. forward. Yeah, and their sides have uh, dropped out of the AFC Cup as well. Yeah, and they didn't uh, send a team to the Champions League either. Although, having said that, I have a suspicion that the AFC is just going to wash their hands of any potential punishments around COVID for this year. I think it's just not worth it. I mean, I do wonder when we'll see North Korea back um, on the international stage. Like, I wonder when it will be or whether they'll just play football in their own country yeah. whether I I'm not sure we'll see them for a while now. That's true. But if we look at but if we go on to the next stage of world, of World Cup qualifying, there's two groups of six. The top two from each group qualify. Third in each group go into a third in each group go into a playoff for the half spot against the for the intercontinental playoff. And we have no idea who that's against yet. Uh, that's not been announced, and I have no idea when that will be announced. Was that against whoever finishes fifth in South America? It could be there. It could be against the half spot at the OFC, or it could be whoever finishes fourth in uh, CONCACAF. So, yeah, so we don't know yet. Uh, that will be announced at some point. There are six pots of two, and they'll be distributed through each group. Team, the, the pots will be made up of one of Japan or Iran, one of Australia or South Korea, one of Saudi Arabia or the UAE, one of Iraq or China, one of Oman or Syria, and one of Vietnam or Lebanon. So that's how the pots will be split up. Uh, the games are supposed to start in um, September this year and finish in March next year, although I have a suspicion that could change dramatically. Yeah, and obviously um, we don't know yet whether they'll be played in any hubs or whether they'll just be played as normal or what. Yeah, the initial plan is assumes uh, free travel across the continent, although I have my doubts that that's going to be the case. Um, all right then, we'll finish up there. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. I feel like we've covered a lot, so I hope the people listening have learnt something or at least been entertained. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Chris, before we head off? No, it's been a pleasure and I hope to talk to some of you again in the future. I hope so too. Thank you very much for listening all. Well done! Why don't you get a job? Even Tarquin has a job Mary Berry's got a job So why don't you get a job? Why don't you get a degree? Even Tarquin has a degree Mary Berry's got a degree So why don't you get a degree? Well done! Don't you watch football? Even 
Tarquin likes football. Trevor Nelson likes football. 